Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Our gospel reading today, though, is very important, uh, and it continues uh, the story which we read last week of Jesus' great epiphany. Uh, his sermon about himself in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth of Galilee. And if you recall uh, from last week, Jesus opened up the scroll and he preached from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, and he focused in on the key verse there at the very end where the prophet sees this vision of the Messiah who has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to captives, to slaves, to the oppressed, and uh, to the blind. And Jesus follows up by giving a one-point sermon, which he says uh, is basically the meaning of the entire gospel. He says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and then this is where we kick off in our gospel reading today. And what I articulated last week was a very important thing, and that is that Jesus is the content of God's sermon to the people of Nazareth. Jesus is the content of God's sermon uh, to you and me, and Jesus is the content of uh, God's sermon to the whole world, because Jesus, uh, well, he is, as St. Paul teaches us in our Corinthian reading, when you begin to see that Jesus is love, Jesus believes all things, he hopes all things, Jesus endures all things, Jesus never ends. And this is very important, especially when you begin to think about it in terms of death and resurrection, the fact that Jesus never ends. Because then you begin to understand what the year of the Lord's favor is all about. What this means is is that Jesus, this word, is the end of your condemnation before the law. What this means is, is that Jesus is the end of sin actually for you. And what this means is that, especially when we begin to talk about death, and we begin to talk about resurrection, Jesus is ultimately the end of death for you. This message, however, engenders two responses. So what Jesus' message to you isn't, hey, uh, get better and try a little harder. You know, I've given you a mulligan. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is, you can't, you won't, I've totally done it all for you, your sins are forgiven, live your life for the sake of your neighbor. This message engenders two responses within us, especially do-it-can-do-yourself New Yorkers. It engenders one, either total faith, or it engenders, like we see in Nazareth, unbelief. And St. Luke tells us that at first, most of the people in Jesus' synagogue, you know, they spoke well of him and were amazed. Hey, that wasn't bad. Best sermon ever. It was so quick. We're out of here in like five minutes. Wish Rev. Jake would do that. But anyway, you know, it's like, uh, you know, but the gracious words that came from his mouth, they loved it. But they didn't realize at first that when Jesus was speaking of the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed, he was speaking of them. These are the ones that the Messiah had come to save. Then there is what I call, and you begin to read it right in the opening of our reading here, the aha moment. The word, to quote Fish, began to bounce around the room a little bit. And then people began to be like, wait a minute. 
Did Jesus just say that he was the Messiah? Jesus? Nazareth High School class of 18? You know what I mean? Did he just say he's the savior of the world? Joseph's son? That's essentially what that means. Joseph's son? You see the people of Nazareth. What happens is they're allowing their over-familiarity with Jesus and what the Messiah was to be to get the best of them. See, they thought that they were basically okay. And what they needed was not a Lord and Savior Messiah. What they needed was some sort of politicized warlord Messiah. I would argue that is one of the great causes of unbelief in our culture today. The same cause of unbelief in Nazareth is the same cause of unbelief sweeping across the Western world and in this country as well. An over-familiarity with the wrong Jesus. You know, we've got all sorts of noise about Jesus. All sorts of sound bites, bumper stickers, slogans, you know, memes about Jesus. And it's caused us to over-familiarize ourselves with the wrong one. With a Jesus who has very little to do with what is actually his mission is all about. And this is my first point. You know, our culture has made Jesus our tool. Our culture has made Jesus a means to our end. I mean, what do you think best life now is all about? To manipulate, mobilize, organize, and weaponize, actually, you know, with the purple and the red Jesus, to uh, use Jesus for the sake of our own cause. And like the like the people of Nazareth who had a politicized view of the Messiah that Jesus didn't fit into, we in America also have a cultural interpretation of Jesus. You know, we have life coach Jesus. We have progressive social activist Jesus. We have cool buddy Jesus with a forearm tattoo. You know, who just, hey, everything's cool. And we have exported, actually, the American church, and this is disgusting, we have exported this Jesus to the very ends of the earth. A Jesus who should work for us and our agenda. And like the people of Nazareth, when we encounter the actual Jesus of the gospel, when he comes and meets us, one, we don't even recognize him. When we encounter the Jesus who's the Lord, our Lord and Savior, who forgives our sins by the shedding of his blood, and then you hear the message that that blood alone is what the agency that reconciles you to the Father? Well, we like the people of Nazareth, man. That good news is just offensive. Glorious things have spoken. Not, not, not now. We don't know what to do with this Jesus either. In fact, the real Jesus, when he is revealed... And he comes to you in the words of a sermon and in ordinary means like water, bread, and wine. Well, that becomes offensive. Luke tells us that Jesus can sense the mood change about him at the synagogue coffee hour after the service. What did Joseph's son just say? And Jesus can hear their hearts. Physician, heal thyself. Do what you did here, what you did in Capernaum. You know, if you're the Messiah. Fit into our cultural norm. That's the Jesus we want. What do you mean I'm the blind one? 
I'm the captive one. How dare you, Jesus? I'm a good person basically getting better. To which Jesus reminds them all. And he takes them back to the scripture. God has never worked according to anyone's cultural norm. I mean, this is why the the Jews are constantly going over the hill to worship the Hittite gods. Because this God is like way too close and he doesn't operate the way we want him to. God actually works in ways that oftentimes offend our faithless hearts. He works in ways and places we dare not want to look. So these are the illustrations that Jesus uses. The first from Israel's history comes from 1 Kings chapter 17. And what happens there is that, I mean, Israel has basically become a hotbed of paganism. And they're under the reign of Queen Jezebel. And there are tons of poor widows in Israel, but God sends them nobody. And the prophet Elijah goes to uh, Sidon, which was a hotbed of pagan worship. And the only person that is saved in that time and spared from this vicious uh, famine is this pagan woman and her son. And then the second illustration he uses, which just really gets them upset, from their scriptures again, 2 Kings chapter 5. And basically, you have um, Elisha, and he goes to Nahum the Syrian. Now, who's Nahum the Syrian? He was basically the prime minister of the arch enemies of Israel. And Nahum the Syrian is saved from his leprosy by taking a bath in the muddiest, grossest river, in one of the muddiest, grossest rivers in the world, the Jordan. But he's the only one who's healed of his leprosy in that age. And this is crazy. This gets because he, what he's revealing is, is that they've always been blind. They've always needed a savior. Because these illustrations take place in a moment of great apostasy in Israel. A time when all of Israel was spiritually captive, blind, and oppressed. The only people at that time confessing the salvation of the God of Israel are these two pagans. This is enraging to people who think they're good people basically getting better. You see, like the people of Nazareth, we think that God is a God who helps good people get better. You know, he gives me a bunch of mulligans. So that, uh, you know, he overlooks my flaws so I can be better. And that's essentially the cultural norm in our society. That's how most people think God works. Good people getting better. However, what Jesus is saying here is that the gospel is actually that he is the Messiah who loves and saves people who are beyond help. He loves and he saves people who can't get it together. And that's actually used to uh, engender something with people who think that they're okay. That he is the God, he's the Messiah who comes and forgives our flaws in order to make us new people who live and walk in forgiveness through the reception of the gifts that we receive at our baptism. And this is my second point. You see, these two illustrations are offensive Because they foreshadow the gospel. God working where we would dare not want to look. A crucified Jewish rabbi from Nazareth. That's where your salvation is to be found. Not in yourself and looking inward. 
but looking outward to a crucified Jewish rabbi who made the claim to be God and on the third day demonstrated it by rising from the dead. Just for a minute, sit in that and allow the gospel to speak to you and the deepest recesses of your heart that you need salvation, that you need forgiveness, that you need grace. I mean, I'm preaching to myself right now. And then allow that to wash over you. That it's all been given to you in a way you'd never expect in a wonderful Savior in Jesus. Now, let me let you into something. The truth of the Christian life. See, the way it's often taught, and this is how it gets interpreted, that Christianity is about good people getting better. See, most people think that the response in the Christian life, like those people in Nazareth, is that it's either faith or unbelief. I either see or I'm totally blind. And in the world, there is only unbelief, for sure. But within us as Christians, there's both. There are moments when we are excited, glad hearers of the gospel. And then there are other moments when it makes me so upset that I've got to get something for free, something I can't earn. It makes us so upset that we say to ourselves that this cannot be true. Especially when we don't see any progress in our own lives in certain areas. And the truth is, is that as Christians in this age, we're not half believers and half unbelievers. No such thing as backsliding or any of that stuff. What exists in us is both faith and unbelief at the same time. And we go back and forth daily. And we'll ask, what is God up to? And sometimes we'll want to throw him off the cliff. And then in the next breath, we're praising his name and singing the closing hymn. But this serves as a reminder that as a Christian, we're both blind and we see. We're both captive and we're totally free. We're poor, but we've received all of God's riches, grace, and mercy. And we're oppressed. But he's placed us on our own two feet. Standing on his firm foundation. And what has the power to ultimately change us as human beings. And to move us through this thing called life. Is like the prophets to the pagans in Jesus' illustration. It's to understand that you have a marvelous, marvelous savior who in the midst of your unbelief still comes to you. He still loves you. And he still heals you. And he's promised to never forsake you, despite yourself. The struggle between faith and unbelief, and hear it from a priest, it's real. The struggle to love and trust Jesus and sometimes the desire to chuck him off a cliff and to throw this whole thing just into the East River with the crowds is real. 
Nevertheless, this is my third point. Just like he preached in that synagogue in Nazareth, and just as he continues to teach us today at St. George's Church, Jesus always comes with grace and a forgiving word to those of us with reluctant ears and dulled by the noise of this world to the sounds of our own voices and the voices of the cultural Jesus. He still comes to all of us with reluctant hearts, deceived by our own expectations of Jesus and delusions about our own ability. He still comes to us by his Holy Spirit, and he preaches to you. And he preaches to you that I'm always for you. The good news that his word, his love, his salvation, and his grace He comes to you today and he reminds you it's always fulfilled in your hearing for indeed the Lord has done and continues to do so much in our life. So stand and rejoice for glorious things he has spoken and he's spoken them to your hearts that he forgives you and he loves you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.